Welcome to the Orchard Podcast, a resource of Orchard Africa. The mission of Orchard Africa is to equip the church to care for the vulnerable. For three decades, a passionate community of churches, leaders, and donors have worked together to feed, educate, care for, and empower under-resourced communities in Southern Africa. To date, Orchard Africa and its partners have served over 10 million meals to families in need, cared for over 75,000 orphan children, and enrolled 8,000 children in high-quality early learning programs. All of this takes place through local African leaders to help communities move from survival to stability to sustainability. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Orchard Podcast, where we help you make a positive and sustainable impact in the places of greatest need in our world. My name is Brian Lemieux. I'm the executive pastor of Orchard Africa, and I'm here as always with Mike and Michelle Tessendorf, the founders of Orchard Africa. Hi, everyone. Hello. Nice to have you with us again. Michelle is our CEO and runs uh, day-to-day directional leadership for uh, Orchard Africa. And Mike serves as our senior pastor and leads our Orchard Network. And this is episode number 20. Wow. So uh, the big 2-0. And uh, it's for September uh, 2022, which means uh, now that we are in September, it is officially pumpkin spice season um, here in the U.S. anyway. Yeah, I do like um, pumpkin spice. It's something I've only been introduced to in the U.S. So it, 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 it's a unique thing about fall. It's an American tradition. Yes. Yeah, very no, much so. No pumpkin spice in South Africa. Not that I'm no, aware on the of. other side of the world, it's uh, spring. So um, public swimming pools are open. The kids would have celebrated spring day at school where they were all, as uh, South African kids wear uniforms to school, so on spring day everybody can wear their casual clothes, so that's mm. a big event. Mm. Yeah. Mm. With September also means um, Christmas has entered the stores. I was, at, <laughs> I was at the hardware store this week and all of the Christmas decorations were all cellophane and sitting out, and I thought, right. oh, it's yeah. too soon. But... <laughs> Oh, yeah. September. Well, we are uh, glad to have you back listening in on uh, the podcast today. And I just want to remind you, uh, we'd love to hear your questions or comments or thoughts. And you can email us at podcast at orchardafrica.org. We'd love to have you be a part of the conversation. And today we're going to talk about um, something that I think it would be great to have your input and comments and feedback because um, today we're going to talk about an issue where uh, you may be a missions director or you've been on a mission trip and um, somebody mentions uh, this idea of the uh, white savior complex. Yeah. So maybe you're leading a team and a team member comes up and says, uh, I've been reading on the internet about how um, going on a mission trip uh, feeds into this white savior complex. And uh, you're wondering, how do I respond to that? What do I say to that? Or maybe you're coming back from a mission trip and that's some of the feedback that you're getting. And and so we wanted to have that conversation uh, around uh, this podcast table and with you to think through what, what what is the biblical response to this idea of the white white savior complex or or western savior complex however you talk about so let's just first talk about what so what is it 
um, what, what do people mean when they, when they say uh, the white savior complex? Yeah, I think it's a very important conversation to ha be had because there's some valid points that are made in uh, the idea of white saviors going off to, let's say, Africa and, uh, well, we're here and now we can fix your problems for you. And I know every African I know just rolls their eyes and goes, nope, <laughs> you know. So I think it is a valid conversation to have um, and to to really dig in and be honest with ourselves. What does Jesus truly require of us? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's a reality that uh, by and large the Western world and particularly the Northern Hemisphere world is white. And uh, typically that's where the resources and the wealth and the means and the education and the privilege on our globe exists. And so uh, there is very much this context of missions being uh, pale people going to darker people. Mm. Um, but in spite of that and outside of that, I, I think regardless of how we consider ourselves uh, in terms of race or color or white or not white, um, the savior mindset is something that we've got to be very, very careful of when it comes to missions. Yes, because we have seen great damage being done mm. uh, in the past and uh, currently. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, how we do missions is truly important and makes all the difference. Mm. I think it's a valid critique. And we've learned over, I guess, centuries and, and most recently in the last few decades that there is a better way uh, yes. to do missions. <clears throat> And there's a more helpful way to, to do missions. And to begin thinking before we go into another culture, before we go into a place that's different than our, than, than where we live, uh, to be thinking, how do I have a posture um, that shows humility, not arrogance? And sometimes it's unconscious. We don't know that there's a mindset underneath where we're going to rescue people. Mm -hmm. But to ask that question before we go, what? What is my motivation uh, in serving? Mm. Maybe even before we ask that question, which is a very valid and good question to ask, I think oftentimes people ask the question, well, should we actually go in the first place? Mm. Uh, let's not mm. assume everybody agrees that we go. But what right. is our mandate? Right. Why should we go? And for me, I think the mandate comes from the last documented words that Jesus spoke. And he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so he was talking about Jerusalem where the disciples already were, the, the neighborhood. And then he spoke about Judea, which was a, a region familiar to them. And then to the geographically further mm -hmm. and culturally yeah. different region of Samaria. And then even worse, you know, to the uttermost mm -hmm. parts of the earth. Mm. I think therein is our mandate to go. And I, I think as we going through this, this conversation, we can unpack that more. But I do think we have a mandate to go from Jesus. Yeah, I mean, in, 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 excuse me, in even simpler words, uh, again, recorded at the end of uh, <coughs> Jesus' ministry on earth, go into all the world. Right. Um, it's... 
absolutely. We, we are mandated to go. There's, there should be no excuse or no reason of not going. But as we said, how we go, I think, is important. Right. And how we talk about how we go and how we portray to others how we go and why we go, I think, is probably what gives a lot of um, weight to the critique of, well, it's just a savior mentality or mm-hmm. it's just a white savior going to people of color mentality. And absolutely, I, I think a lot of what drives that is because uh, the Western world is by and large uh, wealthy. We have means, we have education in the Western world. Uh, people in the Western world have opportunity. And somehow that, that, that develops this sense of we have what it takes and we know what is necessary to solve the problems of people who don't have what we have. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we kind of almost feel like our need to go and do something because of what we have is the reason we go. And so we meet our need and we feel good because we've used our resources and our education mm-hmm. or whatever else we have to go and do something to solve the problems of people on the other side of the world who we don't know, mm-hmm. don't know anything mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. don't know how they live. We forget that they're people, that they have dignity, that they have opinions. Um, that they're smart and they're smart. educated. And that they may have some answers to the problems they're facing and don't need somebody to come and save them from the problem, but need somebody to come and walk alongside mm. them and say, we're in this together. Let's see if we can work a way out of this together. Yeah, I think that's exacerbated these days because we have so much information. We know what's going on in other parts of the world. We know the need and the suffering, maybe even more than in the past. And there's this sense of, well, how can I help? Mm. Mm. And sometimes in our desire to help, it's like maybe a good metaphor is uh, we're, we're running into an emergency room and we know that there's a need in there, but we don't have any training as a nurse or a doctor. And we think maybe just me helping would, uh, would make a difference. But sometimes it, we don't really know what we're doing. And mm. so yeah. Mm. Yeah. it doesn't help. Mm. And so, Mike, as you said, going in with the sense of, I know already what's needed. Mm. I have the solutions and methodologies from my educated <laughs> community, but really having, being unaware of mm. the capacity and skills and learning and education mm. that the communities have already when we, yeah. before we go. Absolutely. And it, it makes me think uh, about a conversation we had uh, a number of uh, podcasts away where, uh, Mike, you spoke about three things to keep in mind when we are going and when we're working uh, in a field that is uh, not our own necessarily. Mm. Do you want to repeat those? Yes. I mean, if, if, if we assume that we, we agree or that those who do agree that we should go. Um, I've observed three sort of underlying motivations that drive people when they go and the way they actually uh, minister when they're on the ground, wherever it may be. And the first one is this um, attitude of uh, we need to, we we do something to people. And (coughs) perhaps a good example of that would be the old-time missionaries who came to Africa found people who behaved differently, dressed differently, had different values to the Western missionaries. And of course, one of the things was that uh, many of them didn't wear a lot of clothes. 
And so the Western mindset was you, you need to be modest. As a Christian now who's coming to follow Jesus, we need to do something mm. about the way you dress. Right. So we're going to provide you with clothes. And in my mind, that's doing something to people, ignoring an entire culture and, and, and tradition and saying, we're going to make sure that you dress well because that's how a Christian should look. Right, or even worse, you've got to change your name to a Christian name. Right. Uh, Mm. What is a Christian name, mm. for goodness sakes, yeah. you know? But that's mm. what happened, is that you can no longer use your traditional name. You have to use a Christian name like John or Mary, and that's doing something to people. Yeah, we impose what we think, in our understanding, is the answer. And to me, the only word I can think of for that is it's arrogant. Mm. It's, right. it's, it's, it's <laughs> spiritual arrogance. Correct. And what it what it actually speaks of is paternalism. You can't yes. do this for yourself, so we're going to so do, do it. We're going to fix you. Mm. Right. So mm. I would say that if people go with that attitude and that posture, then please don't go. Then mm. I agree. Do not go. Mm. Right. Mm. And then the next uh, level is when we go and we do something for people, which is obviously a lot better. Um, but I think... That is perhaps the main root cause of the savior mindset is we're going to go and do something for people because they don't have or because they don't know or because whatever reason. And so we come as the savior, as the solution to all their problems. And what that does is it creates in the people we serve uh, uh, an attitude of dependence. Uh, we're the savior. They need the savior. And so we kind of condition people who we minister to to become dependent on us because we have the answer and we have the means and we have the solution to your problem. And <coughs> relief often takes uh, that form where we do something for people and relief is good. But the danger is when you create a, let me call it eternal, attitude of depending on us. Mm. And so if we go away, mm. then you will not have. Mm. Or if we, we stop, then you're going to be in need. And um, yes, relief is necessary. But ongoing relief doesn't really change anything in the long term. Right. So relief is a temporary measure to some catastrophe. Yeah. Uh, but from relief should become something more, development to where people are well, taking on that responsibility themselves. I think in those moments of relief when we're doing something for... I think we would be surprised how that community has the capacity to do some of that. It's, it's mm. like the idea Absolutely. of coming in to build homes when you have skilled tradesmen in the community. Right. And right. Sometimes the mission team aren't skilled. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes. And, so <laughs> and, and, and then the, the guys on the ground got to fix it up when That's all true. these teenagers leave, you know, yeah. <laughs> or whoever it was that was there. It takes away opportunity when... Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think when we take away people's usefulness, mm. we, we're taking away a lot. Um, everybody wants to feel useful and everybody needs to be useful in their own community. And we've observed that certainly people in Africa where we work are quite capable of painting their own church building or even building their own church building. Yeah, most of them do. Exactly. And so uh, coming alongside and doing something for people uh, in that regard really is just serving your own need. Mm -hmm. But 
when you have a catastrophe and people are really hungry and there's been no crops or those kind of things, well, absolutely, let's come and do something for you. We bring food, but with the idea that from that will come something else. Yeah. Well, development is something we've spoken about, which drives everything that we at Orchard mm. Africa do. Mm. Um, but yeah, along mm. those lines, the third, and this is the, uh, the goal, and this is the, the, the means, uh, not the, the, the how, that all of us who do outreach should be considering when we go and how we go and why we go, is that we're going to do something with people. Um, we're in this together. You might be on a, the other side of the world facing mm -hmm. problems that in our country we don't have, but because you're part of God's creation, because you're an image bearer, because you're an object of Jesus' love, then I'm going to put myself and walk in your shoes and we're going to work through this thing together and we're going to find solutions together and we're going to create a partnership together mm -hmm. and we're going to seek to be empowered together to develop an ongoing sustainable solution to some of the challenges that are, are in your context or in your community. And to me, that's, that's, that's partnership. That should be what we are seeking. And uh, yeah. that, to my, in my mind, is the answer to the savior mindset. I'm not coming as a savior. I'm coming to be a partner. Exactly that. We're doing things with, and yeah. I loved that you used the word love because I love you, because yeah. I see your personhood. Right. Uh, that is the motivation. Um. Yeah, you know, if just personally, I'm, I'm always conscious of the fact that uh, we are white people. In Africa, in South Africa, M Michelle and I were white people ministering in a culture that was totally different to ours and very different color to yeah. us. And, and we are generationally South African. Right. Uh, my, my history goes back 400 years. Right. I can't consider myself anything but South African, yes. but I have a white skin. But we are African, and the fact that our skin is a different color doesn't separate us from anybody else who's different to us. Right. And so when, when I'm leading a, a pastor's meeting, even though I might be the only white person in the room, I'm not there as a savior, I'm there as a partner. And we're doing this together and we're seeking God together and together we're gonna find a way to impact the community where you serve as a pastor. Mm. Um, and if, if, if every missions endeavor, if every missions leader, if every mission uh, outreach could be, let's go and find a way that we can partner and let's walk alongside rather than do two or do four. I think they would do a lot mm. to address the, 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 the white savior mm. mindset and right. possibly win back some of the disillusioned and, and, and hurt people that have observed this and said, sorry, I, I don't want to be a part of that. There is a better way. Mm. I agree. I think this idea of doing things with people is uh, the road of love. And in my mind, that's what missions boils down to. That's what ministry boils down mm. to. Whether we're doing ministry to our family, our immediate family, mm. to our neighborhood, to our country, or to the ends of the earth, it all boils down to the ministry of love and that ministry of presence, that love sometimes needs a presence. Mm. And uh, it 
makes me think of the scripture in 1 John uh, 3.16 that says, by this we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Mm. Mm. And sometimes in the going, it's laying down our life because honestly, it's not always easy to go. Sometimes uh, people think, oh, you know, we're going off to another country. It's like going on a holiday or a vacation to some foreign place. And I'm sure there are people who go with that mindset. But if we go with the mindset of laying down my life for my brothers, Mm. um, therein makes all the difference. Because I don't think that missions is a cultural or a political exercise. I think missions is an exercise in great love. Mm. Yes, absolutely, mm. absolutely. And um, mm. our job, in my mind, the way I see it, is to set a table for others to come and taste of Jesus. Mm. And at Orchard Africa, we're very intentional in how we set that table. We set the table so that the local community and the Christian community coming from afar both come to this table and they both taste of Jesus. It's a we, us mm. together. Mm. It's not me to you, but it's as a, as a Christian community, as a, a table that has been laid with Jesus uh, as the center and the focus, we all come uh, in love to taste of that. Mm. And if we can do that right, I think that then is the mandate from Jesus because he told us to go to those who are culturally and socially different to Mm. us. There's a reason. No, we can't escape that, and there's a reason for that. And I I think Jesus likes to make us uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) He's good at it. He he wants to touch those buttons and Mm. and help us to look at ourselves. And possibly sometimes when we come from a, a Western rich nation and we come to a country where there is not as much, we see our own greed we see our own uh, shortcomings at that table and we taste of Jesus and we come away more humbled and more uh, willing to give and uh, perhaps with a more um, thoughtfulness of to whom much is given, much is required in terms of of physical things. And perhaps uh, those from local communities uh, also look internally and say, what is Jesus saying to me? What am I tasting of Jesus at this table? Um, perhaps they, 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 and I know people have told me this, that they experience generosity for the first time, uh, that they see kindness, where sometimes some communities just always feel forgotten, that they don't, they're not seen. Nobody mm. even knows they're there. Nobody cares, and they see this kindness. Mm. And so everybody who comes to the table and sups of Jesus goes away with something different. And if we set that table correctly, that should be our goal, mm. this goal <coughs> of great love. When I think of table, uh, Michelle, when you talk about table, when I think of table, I think of uh, relationship over task. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes when we address needs in places that are different than us, we go with a task mindset mm-hmm. instead of a table mindset. Yes. yes. And table means uh, I've got something to say and I've got something to hear. I, I've got something to give. I've got something to receive. Mm-hmm. 
And when Jesus talked about love, he kept going back to this neighbor analogy. Mm. Mm. And he could have used any kind of analogy, uh, a worker uh, is one who loves, mm. but he says neighbor. Right. And neighbor right. is all about recognizing that we live in a community together. Mm. Yes. And I think we've all experienced that when we invite our neighbors, our friends to dinner. The best dinner parties are the ones where everybody's contributing and everybody is uh, heading to the conversation. And we all go away thinking, what a wonderful evening that was. Right. None of us like to go to dinner parties when one person hogs the table mm. and just, you know, it's, it's the community mm. that gets built mm. in that process. Well, uh, what you said about um, missions being an act of great love, um, uh, we can't get away from the fact that if we love Jesus, then we need to keep his commandments. Yeah. <laughs> and his commandment was to go. Yeah. Um, but Jesus said some other things about love, which I think are, are relevant here, where he said that the world will know that we are his disciples if we have love for one another. And to love one another the way Christ loves us. All of us would agree that Jesus' love is unconditional. There's, right. there's, there's never a reason why he stops loving. Mm. But in addition to that, Jesus' love is also universal. It includes all of God's creation. Every person, every tribe, every nation, every tongue uh, is included in the love of God. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to should we go absolutely as an act of love, who do we go to? The ends of the earth, because all of those at the ends of the earth, no matter where they are, who they are, are objects of Jesus' love. Yes, and so we cannot get away from the mandate. I think uh, what we need to do is look to Jesus and uh, look to the early church as to what that looked like. And we all know the, the sacrificial love that the early church gave to one another and to those outside of the church as mm. well. And uh, that spread the gospel, mm. the good news that mm. Jesus so loved the world, or God so loved the world that he gave his only son, um, is when they <laughs> experienced that love. Mm. And that then should be... Um, I've written down three kinds of love that I think is pertinent to missions. It's pertinent to our whole lives. But um, the one is what I call suffering love, where Jesus said, greater love is no man in this, that he lays down his life for his friends. It's this uh, love that suffers. And as Christ followers, we need to give ourselves away. We need to lay our life down. We need to be mm -hmm. uh, uh, giving our lives away. And... I think mission trips that are organized around the command to love one another forms part of this process of giving ourselves away, um, where we see people's personhood and we go, I love you, the person, regardless of your circumstances, it's you, the person that's interesting and I'm going to lay my life down for that. Mm. Then there's this uncomfortable love, which I call, and again in the scripture it says, um, I, I believe this is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, if you love those, and he's talking about his enemies, yeah, loving your enemy. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, 
What are you doing more than mm. others? Do not even pagans do that? And I think this, this uncomfortable love where God calls us to go to people that are not like us makes us uncomfortable. Mm. They're like, you know, I'm, I don't want to just greet my own people. I've got to go and greet the tax collectors or the pagans or people different to me mm -hmm. um, is the image I'm getting from that scripture, whatever they might be. They might not be pa pagans or tax collectors. They're just different. Mm. If I'm only going to love my own church and my own surroundings, how is that any different from people who don't know Christ? They do that too. And so yeah. there's this uncomfortable love that I think is required of us. And then lastly is what I call a foregoing love. Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For what, whoever <coughs> wants to save their life will lose it and whoever loses their life will find it. And that's this foregoing love where I've got to give up my life. And I give it up on behalf of others. Mm. Um, if I want to save my life and stay where I am in my own comfort zone, I might lose my life. I might get lost in my stuff, in my job, in, you know, you hear people all the time who've got absolutely no um, motivation for anything. But when you give yourself away and you go to your neighbors and your city and your country and to your world, it's this foregoing love. I give up my, my right to look after me and me alone and I go. Mm. And so I think those three loves are pertinent to any missions that we want to do. The comment you made about uncomfortable love in our in our day, it may be uncomfortable uh, to go to a place that's different mm -hmm. than your own community, and you you might receive some, especially if you're going there to to help. You might receive some pressure or pushback. Well, uh, you're only going there for your own needs, and. Sometimes it's not only being uncomfortable and willing to go to a place to serve, but being willing to be uncomfortable in what someone might say in, in your going. And in Western culture, it can be really easy to say, well, I'm just going to forget about the needs in other places. And it, it's too complex. It, it may feel too political or whatever you fill in the blank. Hmm. Uh, but the abdicating of love as a, as a follower of Christ is, is not an option. We, no. we are called to reflect who we are as Christ followers through the way that we love people in our backyard and people to, <clears throat> to the ends of the earth. And so being willing to push through the criticism or the pressure um, and going with the us sacrificial servant-hearted posture of learning and and growing and mm -hmm. uh, and being with but uh that uncomfortable word i think is yeah. is key i yeah. do think so that in this politically charged uh, uh culture and time that we live it can be very uncomfortable to say i'm going off on a mission trip mm. but i think therein in that uncomfortableness 
we can look inside of ourselves and ask, well, why am I going? Am I going so I can come back with a bunch of photos of look how great I am? Am I willing to go and take not one photo? Right. And just serve mm. in the moment and not be behind my camera? And so when that political pressure or all of whatever pressure it is comes, I think it's a great opportunity to stop and ask ourselves why. Why? Mm. We should always have uncomfortable conversations with ourselves. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, back to the, the, the aspect of love and unconditional and universal love. And Jesus was asked, uh, what is, what's the greatest commandment? And his response was, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. And then he said, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, on this hangs all the law and all the prophets. In other words, everything depends on this. Mm -hmm. uh, loving God, for sure. But how about loving your neighbor as yourself? And... Um, Sometimes we think our neighbor are the people that are like us, close to us, around us, the, the, the Jerusalem Ooh, people. Syndrome, yes. But uh, in another context, uh, when Jesus made that statement to a lawyer who wanted to know, so, hey, I want to have eternal life. What do I need to do? And love your God, love your neighbor. Mm. And so the question, the guy says, well, who is my neighbor? And I think, uh, it, in, and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. In that parable, the contrast between the Samaritan and the guy who was beaten demonstrates that our neighbor is not just the like us people. Our neighbor includes whoever is mm. downtrodden, whoever is vulnerable, whoever is wounded, whoever is forgotten, marginalized, uh, you, with the, the list can go on and on. Because here's most likely a, a Jewish guy lying on the side of the road. He's bleeding, he's, he's, he's dying. He's been robbed. And a Samaritan who is of a totally different culture and religious mindset comes along. I mean, what a contrast. Right. It's, it's the not like us people. And uh, Jesus tells the story of who is the neighbor. He's answering the question, who is the neighbor? Well, it doesn't matter if he's a not like you person. Mm. If right. it's somebody who is in need and you have the means to minister and meet that need, that's your neighbor. Right, right. And so the Samaritan does that. But then the story ends where Jesus says to this uh, lawyer, so who was the neighbor to this man who was wounded? And the answer is the one who showed mercy. So now this emphasis switched mm. to not who is my neighbor, but who was a neighbor. Mm. And then we look again at the Samaritan, and the Samaritan was being a neighbor. And I yes. think we've got to think about those two aspects of love. Who is my neighbor? And then how do, do I, I be a neighbor? neighbor? Mm. That's excellent. Mm. Absolutely excellent. Because Jesus um, uh, repeated that idea of the Samaritan people who are different in that scripture go into Jerusalem, in right. Judea, and, and Samaria. Right. Samaria was like mm. the untouchables. You don't go there. And then even worse to the uttermost parts of the earth, we're talking about going to those horrible Romans and... Mm so forth um so yes how do we be that neighbor then once we've agreed that we've got to go to those who are different to us right and i mean in in this parable the answer is obviously if i have the means to minister to somebody who is in need it doesn't matter how different or how far away that person might be from me 
he is my neighbor and I'm responsible to be a neighbor. Yes. And that's true for missions. Or why don't we just do sort of local ministry? Why don't we just hang around Jerusalem? (laughs) You have neighbors on the other side of the world. Right. And I just love that so much because uh, the one who was the neighbor is the one who showed mercy. Right. And then Jesus said, and go and do likewise. Mm. When we're showing mercy, we are being a neighbor and we are expected to do likewise. I love how when you go further into the New Testament, past the Gospels, you see that the early church captured that. Captured that. At first, they all stayed in Jerusalem and where mm. it was safe and comfortable, and then God pushed them to other places. And in Galatians uh, 5.14, Paul is saying the same thing. He's echoing it now. Um, all of the law and all the prophet is fulfilled in this one this one command, love, love your neighbor as yourself. And so when the early Christians, then they went across borders, they went across cultures, they went into places where uh, people were worshiping Roman gods, where uh, it was every kind of background and tradition and skin color even. Right. And the early church adopted that. And that's, that's our, the foundation of how the church started in missions. Mm. missions began right yeah yeah and you know i do think that um the going and then the people on the other end the receiving that whole process is part of our spiritual formation it helps form (coughs) us in christ that uh, idea of going and then receiving people who are different to me Mm. is is just as much a part of that spiritual formation Mm. well We've uh, cracked open uh, kind of a tough, uh, tough topic, but one of the things that we mentioned in a previous podcast is uh, th- this idea of truth tensions. And I think this is a good example of that, where there's tensions in this conversation of um, going in love and, and then how you go matters mm. and the motivation matters and mm. the way you treat people matters and doing it alongside and and Michelle, you had a quote that um, that I appreciated that kind of summed up this whole idea of um, going and love. And uh, yeah, it wasn't a quote so much as just something I wrote down mm-hmm. in thinking about uh, this conversation. And um, I think what sums it all up for me is what matters is how we love others. Mm. And that's what matters most in in missions is how we love others. And that the aim of our spiritual formation is to pour our light out to others in love. And then finally, all that we do in this life will finally be weighted on the scale of love. Yes. Mm. And if we can remember that, that everything we do is weighted on the scale of love, Mm. then our going certainly makes all the difference Mm. in our life and in the life of those we go to. Mm. Because love never fails. (laughs) Yes. Mm. The greatest of these is love. Well, we would love to have you be a part of this conversation. Email us at podcast at orchardafrica.org. What kinds of stories do you have? What uh, kind of moments have you had where you've been on mission and uh, discovered that uh, it 
it really all comes down to Jesus' neighborly love. And so we'd love to hear from you as we continue this conversation. So um, thanks for listening in, and um, we're grateful to be a part of this podcast community with you. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you. This has been great. Bye-bye.